11. Elation, is the appropriation of the food material by the cell protoplasm, in a sense the storage of fat by connective tissue cells and of glycogen by the liver cells is assimilation, the term is limited, however, to the disposition of material with reference to its final use, whether all the materials used by the cells actually become a part of the protoplasm is not known, it is known, however, that the cells are the places where most of the oxidations of the body occur and that materials taking part in these oxidations must, at least, come in close contact with the protoplasm. Assimilation, then, is the last event in a series of processes by which oxygen, food materials, and cell protoplasm are brought into close and active relations. The steps leading up to assimilation are shown in Table II. Table II. The passage of materials to the cells materials digestion absorption route to storage condition the general in the circulation blood proteids changed in passing through the become as proteids into into the portal vein part of the in proteosis capillaries to the protoplasm colloid land the liver and of all the solution peptones by proteoses from their cells the action and through the of the peptones hepatic gastric can change into veins into pancreatic with the juices proteids of inferior the blood vena cava Fat changed in passing through the as fat and chiefly as into fatty into the lacteals to the cells minute oil acid, lacteals, B of droplets, glycerin, B thoracic collective and glycerin duct, by tissue, soluble unites with which it is soaked by the, the soluble empty bile and soap and into the pancreatic fatty acid left juice, to form the subclavian oil droplets vein, of the blood. Starch reduced to enters the through the as glycogen as dextrose some of the capillaries portal chiefly by indifferent as dextrose. Vein, the liver, solution, forms of liver, but to some sugar, as hepatic extent by maltose. Veins, into muscle dextrose, inferior cells, etc. Vena cava, water undergoes taken up by both is not as the no change, both the roots, but stored in water which lacteals and mostly by the sense serves as a capillaries. Way of that energy carrier of but to the liver. Foods are, all the greater of their extent by constituents the of the capillaries. Blood, common salt undergoes taken up by by way of not stored. In solution, no change. The portal capillaries vein, without liver, and undergoing hepatic apparent veins into change. Inferior vena cava, oxygen taken up by already and is not united with the general stored. The capillary circulation, hemoglobin at the end to a lungs. Small extent in solution in the plasma. Tissue enzymes. The important part played by enzymes in the digestion of the food has suggested other uses for them in the body. It has been recently shown that many of the chemical changes in the tissues are in all probability due to the presence of enzymes. An illustration of what a tissue enzyme may do is seen in the changes which fat undergoes. In order for the body to use up its reserve fat, it must be transferred from the connective tissue cells, where it is stored to the cells of the active tissues where it is to be used, this requires that it be reduced to the form of a solution and that it re-enter the blood, in other words, it must be reduced, for bringing about these changes a substance identical in function with this the absence of the pancreatic juice has been shown to exist in several of the tissues, although this subject is still under investigation, it may be stated with certainty that there are present in the tissues, enzymes that change dextrose to glycogen and vice versa, that break down and build up the proteids, and that aid in the oxidations at the cells. The necessity for such enzymes is quite apparent. Summary. The digested nutrients are taken up by the capillaries and the lymph vessels and transferred by two roots to the circulation. 
In passing from the alimentary canal into the circulation the more important of the foods undergo changes which adapt them to the needs of the body. Since materials are absorbed more rapidly than they are used, means are provided for storing them and for supplying them to the cells as their needs require. Capability of storage is an essential quality of energy yielding foods and substances, such as alcohol, which lack this quality are not adapted to the needs of the body for causing the chemical changes that occur in the storage of foods, as well as the oxidations at the cells. The presence of active agents, or enzymes, is necessary. Exercises. 1. In what respects does the absorption of food materials from the alimentary canal differ from the absorption of a simple liquid by a solid? 2. In what different ways is the small intestine especially adapted to the work of absorption? 3. What are the parts of a bilis? What are the lacteals? Account for the name. 4. What part is played by the capillaries and the lacteals in the work of absorption? How does their work differ? 5. What changes, if any, take place in water, common salt, fat, proteids, and carbohydrates during absorption? 6. What double purpose is served by the processes of digestion? 7. Trace the passage of proteids, fats, and carbohydrates from the small intestine into the general circulation. 8. What is the necessity for storing nutrients in the body? Why is it not also necessary to store up oxygen? 9. In what form and at what places is each of the principal nutrients stored? 10. How is the rate of supply of food to the cells regulated? Why is the body unable to regulate the supply of alcohol to the cells when the substance is taken? 11. Explain figure 80. Page 181. What becomes of the alcohol if this is taken in any but very small quantities? 12. State the general purpose of enzymes in the body. Name the enzymes found in each of the digestive fluids. What ones are found in the tissues? Practical work illustrate the ordinary meaning of the term absorption by bringing the end of a piece of crayon in contact with water, or a piece of blotting paper in contact with ink. Noting the passage of the liquid into the crayon or the paper. Show how absorption from the food canal differs from this kind of absorption. Show by a diagram similar to figure 77 the two routes by which the foods pass from the alimentary canal into the bloodstream. Chapter XII Energy Supply of the Body If one stops taking food, it becomes difficult after a time for him to move about and to keep warm. These results show that food has some relation to the energy of the body. For motion and heat are forms of energy. The relation of oxygen to the supply of energy has already been discussed chapter VIII. We are now to inquire more fully into the energy supply of the body, and to consider those conditions which make necessary the introduction of both food and oxygen for this purpose. Kinds of bodily energy. The healthy body has at any time a considerable amount of potential, or reserve, energy. Energy which it is not using at the time, but which it is able to use as its needs require. When put to use, this energy is converted into such forms of kinetic energy 69 as are indicated by the different kinds of bodily power. These are as follows. 1. Power of motion. The body can move itself from place to place and it can give motion to things about it. 2. Heat power. The body keeps itself warm and is able to communicate warmth to its surroundings. 3. Nervous power. Through the nervous system the body exercises the power of control over its different parts, as motion, heat and nervous power the body uses most of its energy, the source of bodily energy, as already indicated, the energy of the body is supplied through the food and the oxygen, these contain energy in the potential form, which becomes kinetic active through their uniting with each other in the body, 
somewhat as the power of the steam engine is derived from the combustion of fuel in the furnaces, the energy of the body is supplied through the oxidations at the cells. How the food and oxygen come to possess energy is seen by a study of the general methods by which energy is stored up and used. Figure 81 Figure 81 Simple device for storing energy through gravity. Simple methods of storing energy. Energy is stored by converting the kinetic into the potential form. Two of the simplest ways of doing this are the following. 1. Storing of energy through gravity. On account of the attraction between the earth and all bodies upon the earth. The mere lifting of a weight puts it in a position where gravity can cause it to move figure 81. As a consequence the raising of bodies above the earth's surface is a means of storing energy the energy remaining stored until the bodies fall. As they fall, the stored up potential energy becomes kinetic and can be made to do work. 2. Storing of energy through elasticity. Energy is stored also by doing work in opposition to elasticity. As in bending a bow or in winding a clock spring. The bending. Twisting stretching, or compressing of elastic substances puts them in a condition of strain which causes them to exert a pressure called elastic force that tends to restore them to their former condition. Energy stored by this means becomes active as the distorted or compressed substance returns to its former shape or volume. These simple methods of storing energy will serve to illustrate the general principles upon which such storage depends. 1. To store energy. Energy must be expended, or work done. 2. The work must be against some force, such as gravity or elasticity, which can undo the work, i.e. bring about an effect opposite to that of the work. 3. The stored energy becomes active kinetic as the force through which the energy was stored induces the work, or puts the substance upon which the work was done into its former condition gravity causing bodies to fall, etc. These principles are further illustrated by the storing of energy through chemical means. A good example of storing energy by chemical means is that of decomposing water with electricity. If a current of electricity is passed through acidulated water in a suitable apparatus figure 82, the water separates into its component gases, oxygen and hydrogen. These gases now have power energy which they did not possess before they were separated. The hydrogen will burn in the oxygen, giving heat, and if the two gases are mixed in the right proportions and then ignited, they explode with violence. This energy was derived from the electricity. It was stored by decomposing the water. Figure 82 Figure 82 Storing energy by chemical means. Apparatus for decomposing water with electricity. Energy is stored by chemical means by causing it to do work in opposition to the force of chemism, or chemical affinity. Instead of changing the form of bodies or moving them against gravity, it overcomes the force that causes atoms to unite and to hold together after they have united. Since in most cases the atoms on separating from any given combination unite at once to form other combinations, we may say that energy is stored when strong chemical combinations are broken up and weak ones formed. Energy stored by this means becomes active when the atoms of weak combinations unite to form combinations that are strong. 70 How plants store the sun's energy. The earth's supply of energy comes from the sun, while much of this, after warming and lighting the earth's surface, is lost by radiation. A portion of it is stored up and retained. The sun's energy is stored both through the force of gravity 71 and by chemical means, the latter being the more important of the two methods. Plants supply the means for storing it chemically figure 83. Attention has already been called to the fact page 112 that growing plants are continually taking carbon dioxide into their leaves from the air. This they decompose, adding the carbon to compounds in their tissues and returning the oxygen to the air. It is found. 
However, that this process does not occur unless the plants are exposed to sunlight. The sunlight supplies the energy for overcoming the attraction between the atoms of oxygen and the atoms of carbon, while the plant itself serves as the instrument through which the sunlight acts. The energy for decomposing the carbon dioxide then comes from the sun day and through the decomposition of the carbon dioxide the sun's energy is stored becomes potential. It remains stored until the carbon of the plant again unites with the oxygen of the air, as in combustion. Figure 83 Figure 83 Nature's Device for Storing Energy from the Sun. See text. The sun's energy in food and oxygen. Food is derived directly or indirectly from plants and sustains the same relation to the oxygen of the air as do the plants themselves. The elements in the food have an attraction for the oxygen, but are separated chemically from it. On account of this relation they have potential energy the energy derived through the plant from the sun. When a person eats the food and breathes the oxygen, this energy becomes the possession of the body. It is then converted into kinetic energy as the needs of the body require. Figure 84 Figure 84 Simple apparatus for illustrating transformation of energy. Potential energy is converted into heat and heat into motion. From the sun to the cells. It thus appears that the body comes into possession of energy. And is able to use it. Through a series of transferences and transformations that can be traced back to the Sunday 72 coming to the earth as kinetic energy. It is transformed into potential energy and stored in the compounds of plants and in the oxygen of the air. Through the food and the oxygen the potential energy is transferred to the cells of the body. Then by the uniting of the food and the oxygen at the cell's oxidation, the potential becomes kinetic energy and is used by the body in doing its work. The phrase, child of the sun, has sometimes been applied to man to express his dependence upon the sun for his supply of energy. Why oxygen and food are both necessary. The necessity for introducing both oxygen and food into the body for the purpose of supplying energy is now apparent. The energy which is used in the body is not the energy of food alone, nor is it the energy of oxygen alone. It belongs to both. It is due to their attraction for each other and their condition of separation. It cannot, therefore, become kinetic except through their union. To introduce one of these substances into the body without the other, would neither introduce the energy nor set it free. They must both be introduced into the body and their cause to unite. Bodily Control of Energy A fact of importance in the supply of energy to the body is that the rate of transformation changing of potential to kinetic is just sufficient for its needs. It is easily seen that too rapid or too slow a rate would prove injurious. The oxidations at the cells are, therefore, under such control that the quantity of kinetic energy supplied to the body as a whole, and to the different organs, is proportional to the work that is done. This is attained, in part at least, through the ability of the body to store up the food materials and hold them in reserve until they are to be oxidized. Page 180. Animal Heat and Motion. Most of the body's energy is expended as heat in keeping warm. It is estimated that as much as five-sixths of the whole amount is used in this way. The proportion, however, varies with different persons and is not constant in the same individual during different seasons of the year. This heat is used in keeping the body at that temperature which is best sweet to carrying on the vital processes. All parts of the body, through oxidation, furnish heat. Active organs, however, such as the muscles, the brain, and the glands especially the liver, furnish the larger share. The blood in its circulation serves as a heat distributor for the body and keeps the temperature about the same in all its parts. Page 33. Next to the production of heat, in the consumption of the body's energy is the production of motion. 
This topic will be considered in the study of the muscular system chapter XV. Some questions of hygiene. The heat-producing capacity of the body sustains a very important relation to the general health. A sudden chill may result in a number of derangements and is supposed to be a predisposing cause of colds. One's capacity for producing heat may be so low that he is unable to respond to a sudden demand for heat, as in going from a warm room into a cold one. As a consequence, the body is unable to protect itself against unavoidable exposures. Impairment of the heat-producing capacity is brought about in many ways. Several diseases do this directly, or indirectly, to quite an extent. In health too great care in protecting the body from cold is the most potent cause of its impairment. Staying in rooms heated above a temperature of 70 degrees F wearing clothing unnecessarily heavy, and sleeping under an excessive bed clothes, all diminish the power of the body to produce heat. They accustom it to producing only a small amount, so that it does not receive sufficient of what might be called heat-producing exercise. Lack of physical exercise in the open air, as well as too much time spent in poorly lighted and ventilated rooms, tends also to reduce one's ability to produce heat. Moreover, since most of the heat of the body comes from the union of oxygen and food materials at the cells, a lack of either of these will interfere with the production of heat. Results of exhaustion, through overwork, or excesses in pleasurable pursuits, one may make greater demands upon the energy of his body than it can properly supply. The resulting condition, known as exhaustion, is not only a matter of temporary inconvenience, but may through repetition lead to a serious impairment of the health. It should be noted, in this connection, that the energy of the body is spent into general ways, first, in carrying on the vital processes, and second, in the performance of voluntary activities, since, in all cases, there is a limit to one's energy. It is easily possible to expend so much in the voluntary activities that the amount left is not sufficient for the vital processes. This leads to various disturbances and, among other things, renders the body less able to supply itself with energy. The problem of increasing one's energy, since the energy supply is kept up through the food and the oxygen, it might be inferred that the introduction of these substances into the body in larger amounts would increase the energy at one's disposal. This does not necessarily follow. Oxidation at the cells is preceded by digestion, absorption, circulation, and assimilation. It is followed and influenced by the removal of wastes from the body. A careful study of the problem leads to the conclusion that while the energy supplied to the body does depend upon the introduction of the proper amounts of food and oxygen, it also depends upon the efficiency of the vital processes. The maximum amount of energy may, therefore, be expected when the body is in a condition of perfect health. Hence. One desiring to increase the amount of his energy must give attention to all those conditions that improve the health. Effective stimulants on the energy supply. In the effort to get out of the body as much as possible of work or of pleasure, various stimulants, such as alcohol, tobacco, and strong tea and coffee, have been used, though these had the effect of giving a temporary feeling of strength and of enabling the individual in some instances to accomplish results which he could not otherwise have brought about. The general effect of their use is to lessen, rather than to increase, the sum total of bodily power. The student, for example, who drinks strong coffee in order to study late at night is able to command less energy on the day following, while enabling him to draw upon his reserve of nervous power for the time being. The coffee deprives him of sleep and needed rest. The danger of stimulants, so far as energy is concerned, 
is this, they tend to exhaust the bodily reserve so that there is not sufficient left for properly running the vital processes. Evidences of their weakening effect are found in the feeling of discomfort and lassitude which result when stimulants to which the body has become accustomed are withdrawn. Not until one gets back his bodily reserve is he able to work normally and effectively. Increase in bodily energy comes through health and not through the use of stimulants. Summary. The body requires a continuous supply of energy. To obtain this supply, materials possessing potential, or stored up, energy are introduced into it. The free oxygen of the air and the substances known as foods, on account of the chemical relations which they sustain to each other, contain potential energy and are utilized for supplying the body. So long as the foods are not oxidized, the energy remains in the potential form, but in the process of oxidation the potential energy is changed to kinetic energy and made to do the work of the body. Exercises. 1. In what different ways does the body use energy? 2. Show that a stone lying against the earth has no energy, while the same stone above the earth has energy. 3. How does potential energy differ from kinetic energy? 4. What kind of energy is possessed by a bent bow? By a revolving wheel? By a coiled spring? By the wind? By gunpowder? 5. How does decomposing water with electricity store energy? 6. Account for the energy possessed by the oxygen of the air and food substances. 7. Trace the energy supply of the body back to the Sunday 8. Why must both oxygen and food be introduced into the body in order to supply it with energy? 9. How may overwork and overexercise diminish the energy supply of the body? 10. How may one increase the amount of his energy? Practical work suggested experiments. 1. The change of kinetic into potential energy may be shown by stretching a piece of rubber, by lifting a weight, and by separating the armature from a magnet. 2. The change of potential into kinetic energy may be shown by letting weights fall to the ground, by releasing the end of a piece of stretched rubber, and by burning substances. 3. The change of one form of kinetic energy to another may be illustrated by rubbing together two pieces of wood until they are heated, by ringing a bell, and by causing motion in air or in water by heating them. If suitable apparatus is at hand, the transformation of electrical energy into heat, light, sound, and mechanical motion can easily be shown. 4. A weight connected by a cord with some small machine and made to run it, will help the pupil to grasp the general principles in the storage of energy through gravity. A vessel of water on a high support from which the water is siphoned onto a small water wheel will serve the same purpose. 5. The storing of energy by chemical means may be illustrated by decomposing potassium chlorate with heat or by decomposing water by means of a current of electricity. 6. Study the transfer of energy from the body to surrounding objects, as in moving substances and lifting weights. Fill a half-gallon jar two-thirds full of water and carefully take the temperature with a chemical thermometer. Hold the hand in the water for four or five minutes and take the temperature again. Inference. Chapter XII Glands and the work of excretion In our study so far we have been concerned mainly with the introduction of materials into the body. We are now to consider the removal of materials from the body. The structures most directly concerned in this work are known as glands. As generally understood, glands are organs that prepare special liquids in the body and pour them out upon three surfaces. These liquids, known as secretions, are used for protecting exposed parts, lubricating surfaces that rub against each other, digesting food, and for other purposes. They differ widely in properties as well as in function, but are all alike in being composed chiefly of water. The water 
in addition to being necessary to the work of particular fluids, serves in all cases as a carrier of solid substances which are dissolved in it. General structure of glands, while the various glands differ greatly in size, form, and purpose, they present striking similarities in structure. All glands contain the following parts, 1. Gland, or secreting, cells. These are specialized cells for the work of secretion and are the active agents in the work of the gland. They are usually cubical in shape. 2. A basement membrane. This is a thin, connective tissue support upon which the secreting cells rest. 3. A network of capillary and lymph vessels. These penetrate the tissues immediately beneath the secreting cells. 4. A system of nerve fibers which terminate in the secreting cells and in the walls of the blood vessels passing to the glands. These structures secreting cells, basement membrane, capillary and lymph vessels and nerve fibers form the essential parts of all glands. The capillaries and the lymph vessels supply the secreting cells with fluid, and the nerves control their activities. Kinds of glands. Glands differ from one another chiefly in the arrangement of their essential parts. 73 The most common plan is that of arranging the parts around a central cavity formed by the folding or pinning of an exposed surface. Many such glands are found in the mucous membrane, especially that lining the alimentary canal and are most numerous in the stomach, where they supply the gastric juice. If these glands have the general form of tubes, they are called tubular glands, if sac-like in shape. They are called saccular glands. Both the tubular and the saccular glands may, by branching, form a great number of similar divisions which are connected with one another, and which communicate by a common opening with the place where the secretion is used. This forms a compound gland which, depending on the structure of the minute parts, may be either a compound tubular or a compound saccular gland. The larger of the compound saccular glands are also called racemose glands, on account of their having the general form of a cluster, or raceme, similar to that of a bunch of grapes. The general structure of the different kinds of glands is shown in Figure 85. Figure 85 Figure 85 Diagram Illustrating Evolution of Glands A Simple Secreting Surface 1. Gland Cells 2. Basement Membrane 3. Blood vessel. 4. Nerve. B. Simple tubular gland. C. Simple saccular gland. D. Compound tubular gland. E. Compound saccular gland. F. A compound racemose gland with duct passing to a free surface. G. Relation of food canal to different forms of glands. The serous coat has a secreting surface. Nature of the secretory process. At one time the gland was regarded merely as a kind of filter which separated from the blood the ingredients found in its secretions. Recent study, however, of several facts relating to secretion has led to important modifications of this view. The secretions of many glands are known to contain substances that are not found in the blood, or, if present, are there in exceedingly small amounts. Then again the cells of certain glands have been found to undergo marked changes during the process of secretion. If for example, the cells of the pancreas be examined after a period of rest. They are found to contain small granular bodies. On the other hand, if they are examined after a period of activity, the granules have disappeared and the cells themselves have become smaller. Figure 86. The granules have no doubt been used up in forming the secretion. These and other facts have led to the conclusion that secretion island in part, the separation of materials without change from the blood, and, in part, a process by which special substances are prepared and added to the secretion. According to this view the gland plays the double role of a filtering apparatus and of a manufacturing organ. 
Figure 86 Figure 86 Secreting cells from the pancreas after Langley. A. After a period of rest. B. After a short period of activity. C. After a period of prolonged activity. In and the nuclei are concealed by the granules that accumulate during the resting period. Kinds of secretion. In a general way all the liquids produced by glands may be considered as belonging to a one or two.